Belly, so named because Tanya Donnelly thought the word was both pretty and ugly, burst into the world fully formed with the hit Feed the Tree, and the world dutifully took off its hat while it was talking to them. They proceeded to light everything on an emotional fire while releasing two certified classic albums, and then they went out the window backwards while the room was still smoldering, only to rise again 25 years later and take flight with the album Dove. In 1995, Belly meant everything to me, and that's why we're talking about them today on The Mix Is In. In late 1994, I was a college sophomore at Boston University, and things weren't going that well for me. Towards the end of the year, I was informed that I would no longer be attending the university based on my academic performance. At the time, I was having headaches almost daily, big, throbbing, awful ones. And then I started to lose my vision in one eye, a little blackness around the edges, which is a pretty scary thing when you're 18, hell, it's a scary thing when you're my age now. So I went to a doctor over Christmas, well, it wasn't Christmas break, technically, although I was going back to Boston to at least live and work on getting back into school, and went to see an eye doctor, and they said, ah, don't worry about it, just get some glasses, and then follow up with this other doctor in Boston. So when I got back to the city, I went to this doctor, and it was just an eye doctor, it was in Mass General. They made me sit in the chair, and they said, hang on for a little few minutes. And then they brought in like three more doctors and then they left and they came back after a little while. And this was all on a Friday. And they said, hey, we'd like to bring you back Monday for an MRI, which scared the shit out of me because I went in for an eye problem. I thought I was going to get glasses. And they explained that they thought I had a brain tumor. So I went back that Monday after my, my mom arrived in town and got the MRI and a bunch of other tests. And it turned out I did, in fact, have a brain tumor that was pushing on my optical nerve. Fast forward a few weeks. And I had surgery to remove it in Boston in the beginning of February. The surgery sucked. It, they had a balloon up my nose. I mean, it was awful. But anyway, it, it, it did the trick. When I came out of surgery, I could see again. I stopped getting the headaches. Then I was in the hospital for a while. You know, I had friends visit. My friend Bernie brought me comic books, which was great. Uh, my dad came in. You know, everybody, whatever. And when then I got out, it was in February in Boston, they told me I couldn't blow my nose for three months, I didn't have a job, and, you know, I just flunked out of college. So it's not a stretch to say things were not great in my life. I would eventually get a job at a liquor store not too long after that, and I took my refuge in a couple of things, the first being comic books, which is a whole other podcast. The other was music. King by Belly was released February 13th, 1995, about two weeks after my surgery. And I didn't have the album. I wasn't super into Belly at the time. I knew Feed the Tree like everybody else. 
but here I was depressed all the time, and I started going out to my brother's on weekends. My brother was in college at Amherst in UMass, and I would hang out at his apartment with his then-girlfriend, now-wife. And, you know, we wouldn't do much. We'd play magic cards or watch TV. Or I'd mess around on their computer and play MUDs and stuff like that. But one of the things is that they worked during the day, and I would just sit around their apartment and listen to music. And they had a bunch of music that I didn't have, and one of the albums that they had was King. And I remember falling in love with it pretty much immediately and then going back and getting Star and realizing that, oh, well, this this is important music to me. And I made a mix. It was a little tape mix. This is back when we did this all on tapes, kind of the inspiration for this podcast. And on the mix, I had four songs by Belly and they were all in a row at the end of side one. This is how important this mix was, as I still remember it all these years later. And they were in the order. It was Feed the Tree. Full Moon, Empty Heart, Super Connected, and Now They'll Sleep. There was other stuff on the mix that I've always still loved. Side 2 began with Saying Ain't So from Weezer from the Blue Album. Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, which was from U2. It was in the uh, the Batman soundtrack. Uh, What's the Frequency, Kenneth, which was R.E.M. from Monster. And that's a whole other album I have a relationship with related to my brother's apartment. Same with Mental Jewelry from Live. I was a big fan of Throwing Copper, uh, and they had mental jewelry, and I fell deeply in love with that album, too. But <laughs> Live is, a, is another episode. Uh, I also had some songs from the Judgment Night soundtrack, I think, and then from Dookie by Green Day, I had She and When I Come Around, which are still my two favorite songs from that band. A lot of that music has stuck with me since, but not quite as much as Belly. You know, I have vivid memories of walking around Boston, listening to this on a Walkman. This, this was when discs and discmans were still a bit prohibitively expensive, especially when you worked in a liquor store on uh, Com Ave up in Alston. It was called Marty's Liquors, if anybody listening to this remembers Boston from that time. Really good liquor store and great sandwiches. I used to work at the cash register. I used to run kegs, and I also did security because I'm a pretty big guy. And security is a whole other story, but it was pretty fun. So I would walk around the city depressed. I still hung out with friends I had there, but not as much. So I would just spend a lot of times just riding the trains or walking up and down Com Ave. And I was always listening to the music in one of the albums in this mix, but also the albums by Belly. I would listen to a lot, and emotionally, they were the closest to where I was. There's this mixture of hope and longing and a lot of things that are in the music, and, and we'll get into the, the individual songs a bit later, but the band has been important to me, and it's been important to me my whole life, despite the fact that they only released two albums and then broke up. So let's get into it. So who is Belly? Belly started out as a four-piece. It was uh, Tanya Donnelly, who was the vocals and the guitar, Thomas Gorman, who did some vocals and guitar and keyboard, Chris Gorman, his brother, played drums, and originally Fred Abong from 91 to 93, and then Gail Greenwood. So Fred Abong is the one on Star, and Gail Greenwood is the one on the second album, King. Tanya Donnelly has gone on, and really was, one of my musical heroes. She's the half-sister of Kristen Hirsch, and when they were kids, they formed Throwing Muses, who was a pretty big alternative rock 80s band. They had the first college radio hit way back, I think it was in 86, with Sinkhole. They grew up in Rhode Island and eventually moved to Boston and became part of the Boston music scene. In fact, it was in 1986 that they moved to Boston from Rhode Island at the behest of Gary Smith. Gary Smith 
was the studio manager for Fort Apache, which is a big, famous studio in Boston. And he was the one that talked him into moving. In fact, he, he helped them get jobs, apartments. He produced their demo. And later on, he would end up managing Belly. So he's a pretty big part of the story behind the scenes. And then they recorded, this is still throwing muses, they recorded at Fort Apache. And uh, when you get into it, and you know, I was part of the Boston music scene when I lived there, and I've always had a toe into that since, and I've always loved the music, especially the punk side. But Port Apache, uh, Fort Apache, rather, everybody recorded there. The Boston's, the Lemonheads, Dando, Belly, Tanya Donnelly, Solo. You look at the list of this studio, and it's kind of incredible how much of it is just the music that I have had with me my entire life was coming out of this place, and it was, you know, in a crappy neighborhood, which is how it got its name. It was named after a police precinct in a movie, you know, surrounded by criminals, uh, which wasn't quite the case, but it was still wasn't in the greatest neighborhood in Boston for the longest time. And working there was a guy named Paul Cordery, who produced half of my favorite records. Eventually, I'm going to do an album just on him. I didn't realize how influential he was on all the music that I listened to until I went back and discovered Fort Apache and got into where all this music was coming from and who was working on it. And he, Boston's albums, Belly, it's a lot, a lot from this guy. So Throwing Muses recorded there, and then they went on to sign with 4AD. They were the first American band to sign with that label. 4AD was is a pretty influential and famous record label that did a lot of alt-rock, post-punk, and goth stuff in the 80s and 90s. They had bands like Bauhaus, the Pixies, Modern English. You know, I'm not actually sure how to say it, but the Cockatoo Twins, Cockatoo Twins, I, who knows? I, I should look that up before I start recording these things, how to say them, but uh, they were on that label too. And Throwing Muses uh, was with them for a while, and they got, I don't want to say big, they were never big, they had some hits, but not giant hits, but they were they were close to what R.E.M. was, I guess, before R.E.M. blew up. They were a common name, like you knew who they were, but you didn't necessarily hear them on the, the radio, you know, all of the radio, just the more college rock oriented radio. So they, they put out a few albums, and in 1990, Tanya Donnelly started a project with Kim Deal of the Pixies called The Breeders. Now you'll know The Breeders from the song Cannonball which is not one that Tony Donnelly worked on. It's from one of their second albums. But they got together and they decided to do this other band while they were with Throwing Muses and Kim Deal was with the Pixies. In fact, they, they both met playing at the Rathskeller, which is, or the Rat, which is a famous club in Boston. In fact, there's a documentary I think you can find on Netflix about it. I saw a few bands there, and in particular I saw the Bostons in the basement once with a band called Shooty's Groove, who had a song called Beautiful Day that was probably the first direct, specific drug song that I ever really loved. I, I'm sure there were others, but that one, you know, Beautiful Day, it wasn't subtle. In fact, in college, it was the uh, answering machine message for me and my roommate for a while, which was kind of fun. Yeah, so they met at The Rat, and you really should look into The Rat. If you're listening to this, you should look into The Rat Skeller. It's one of those venues, it's like the Whiskey or Whiskey A Go-Go in L.A. or Stone Pony that has this kind of reputation as being the place. And it was certainly the place where the Boston punk scene formed and thrived. And a lot of bands, important bands, played there. Not just 
Boston bands like The Neighborhoods or Boston's. Aerosmith, I think, played there. Pearl Jam probably played there. It was it was one of those venues, and it, it got torn down sometime in the late 90s, I think, or early aughts. In fact, when you go to Kenmore Square now, it's it's a little depressing because you walk through and there's, you know, all this stuff that used to be cool things. Like there used to be a pizza joint there that was open late after the bars and you'd have a line wrap around the block. And they had probably the best pizza I've ever had. You had to sop off all the grease first, but it was worth it. And there was a, used to be a pancake house, IHOP, down at one corner that stayed open 24 hours and we used to go there I used to work on the student newspaper and two three o'clock in the morning we'd finish we'd go down there and get some pancakes and then go to bed and we'd hang out with the homeless people that congregated there in fact one night we were sitting there waiting for our orange juice and pancakes and whatever else and an older lady who was homeless that we'd we knew had brought in a boom box and she started playing and just dancing around to old funk music it was one of those singular college experiences that ends up in movies that never quite gets to the real human element of, of experiencing it. But that was that's what it was at the time when the rat was there, and now it's more of an outdoor mall. But So it goes, progress. The Boston's have a song called I Want My City Back that's largely about changes in Kenmore Square, and uh, it's one of my favorite. well, it's one of my brother's favorites. I like it, but... Uh, Sailing down Storo Drive, it starts. So, anyway, so the Belly hasn't quite come around yet. We're still with the Breeders. In 1990, the side project with the Breeders starts, and with Kim Deal, and they release an album called Pod, and then a second album, which is actually an EP called Safari, and that's with Kelly Deal, Kim Deal's sister. And then they released Last Splash, which is their next album. Tanya Donnelly's only on the songs that were on the Safari EP and not the rest of them, so she's not on Cannonball, their one big hit. She left the band. It was a side project, and they both were, were fully involved with their bands, and then Tanya Donnelly left Throwing Muses in 1991 after they released The Real Ramona, which was their fourth album. And she had these songs left over, or not left over, but these songs she had written for The Breeders, and because of Kim Deal and Kelly Deal's schedules, it was hard to get everybody together to do it. And she got a bit antsy and she decided to do her own thing. And when she decided to do her own thing is how Belly formed. Now, originally it was Fred Abong who was in Throwing Muses with her. And then the Gorman brothers who were also part of the music scene, people she knew in high school in Rhode Island. So it wasn't like the breeders didn't really break up. Throwing Muses didn't break up either. They just kind of, Tanya Donnelly needed to do something new. And the breeders just couldn't get their schedules together. And really, we're all better off for it. Because that's how Belly started. And out of this brand new thing, uh, a lot came out. So at the time, Tanya Donnelly was living with her boyfriend in Nashville. And she recruited these folks to play with her, Fred and the Gormans. And they went down to Nashville and they recorded there. And they recorded the Slow Dust EP, which came out in 1992, and it's a five-song EP, and all but one of them is on Star. And then in 1993, they released Star. Now, Geppetto was the first single, and it eventually got to number eight on the alt-rock charts, but it got to that after their second single. I remember hearing Geppetto once in a blue moon and kind of being aware of it, but not completely aware of it. So much as I never really got into it. And then Feed the Tree came out 
And that blew up everything. That went to number one on the alt-rock chart, which was the... Look, that was the important one at the time. It got to 95 on the Billboard chart, which is pretty high for a college rock kind of song. But the alt-rock stuff was what really mattered in the early 90s. The the regular Billboard chart was still Madonna and Michael Jackson. And this was a little bit before, right around the time that grunge started to happen in Nevermind and Pearl Jam's 10. And really, it, it was part of the wave that killed the 80s dead. It was what took Michael Jackson and... Guns N' Roses and essentially retired them and not really retired them, but it it took them out of the primary musical consciousness for people who were into music. Yeah. And all of a sudden belly was huge. The video for feed the tree was nominated for the VMAs. I think they were nominated for best new band at the VMAs too. And this was back when that actually kind of mattered when people paid attention to these things and these were actual I mean, they were feathers in people's caps, but it was a way of of saying that we've arrived and people know who we are. So they started touring. They released another single. They released Slow Dog, which came in to 17, the alt-rock chart. So if you're counting, that's three top 25 alt-rock hits off this one album. And they did a joint headline tour with Radiohead. And I meant to look this up before I started recording, and I didn't. So, But I think this was right... When Pablo Honey came out, or right a little bit after when Pablo Honey came out. So this was back when Creep was the big deal for them. They did a second tour around then, and the Cranberries opened for them. And this was, everybody else is doing it, so why can't we? And that was their first big album. And that was the one that you know everybody had. But these all blew up around the same time, and so they were on these tours with Radiohead and the Cranberries. And this is when Fred Abong leaves, and Gail Greenwood joins. Gail Greenwood was playing in a band called Boneyard. She's another one from that Boston and Providence music scene. She has a bit of a different style than Fred, and that shows up when they start recording King, which is their second album. She's a bit more, I don't want to say metal, because Belly never gets into metal, but it's a little bit more aggressive, a little bit less dreamy. So the sound became a little bit more guitar-oriented and a bit less dream pop. So then, in February 1995, King is released. And King is a big deal when it comes out because Star was a bona fide hit. And it sounds a bit different, and people are actually a little bit disappointed. It got to, uh, I have it somewhere in the notes, it got to 57 on the Billboard charts. It sold 350,000 copies, but everything had kind of shifted to grunge at that point. So this dream pop was a little bit less of something people were looking for. But they still, they released four singles, including Super Connected which hit 35 on the alt-rock chart. And I, I remember hearing Super Connected a lot in Boston at the time on BCN and FNX and other radio stations in the area. Uh, they released Now They'll Sleep, which got to 17 on the alt-rock chart, and then Red and Seal My Fate, which both didn't chart. They played on Letterman. They made the cover of Rolling Stones. They toured with R.E.M. They toured with Jewel. They cho- toured with the Catherine Wheel who Gail Green would, would go on to join later. And then in 1996, they broke up. Three years later, constant touring, two albums, and they were done. There's not a big breakup story with the band. There's not a lot of drama that has crept out. Tanya Donnelly was quoted in Q Magazine as saying, The first couple of years, Belly were a blast. Star was a big hit and we partied hard. But by the time we made it to King... There was a lot of negative stuff going on. King was a reaction to the bright shininess of Star, and we weren't surprised when it didn't sell. 
I regret not making another Belly album, but at the time I thought, screw it, I'm out of here. So it wasn't a terrible breakup, but things just weren't working. They talk about, if you read interviews, they talk about being exhausted from nonstop touring and making albums. There was some personal stuff, because it's a band and there's always personal stuff. But I didn't find anybody saying anything particularly negative. Nobody said, well, I hate Tanya, or Gail is a monster, or these Gorman brothers are terrible people. And I think that's largely because Tanya, the Gorman brothers, and Gail are all pretty decent human beings. It's just hard to be together nonstop for three years especially when you're working and touring and you're constantly going. That wears on people, and not everybody makes it. Not everybody can separate personal stuff from just business, and not every band should. Not every band that functionally becomes a business after a while is worth still hearing. Sometimes it's better to get two classic albums and then nothing than two great albums and a whole bunch of crap. Uh, We'll talk about live one of these episodes And to my mind, Live is one of those bands where they had two great albums and then just it never worked after that. And that didn't really happen to Billy because they said, like Tanya said, screw it, I'm out of here. Gail would go on to play with L7 for a few years. Uh, You might know them from their hit Pretend That We're Dead, which is another great song. Tanya Donnelly went on and had a great solo career. She released a bunch, particularly Pretty Deep was one of my favorites. She also became a postpartum doula, which is, if you know anything about doulas, and I barely do, uh, she comes in after a baby is born and helps the mother through postpartum depression, taking care of the baby and all that stuff that we as a society tend to leave women on their own to deal with and aren't always ready for that, which we're definitely not getting into on this podcast, but it's still a pretty cool post-career or post-music career for somebody who had a number one alternative rock hit. You know, and imagine signing up for a doula service and Tanya Donnelly being the one that came over. I know I'd be pretty excited. Chris Gorman went on to write and draw children's books. Uh, One is called Indie Surfs. Another one is called One of a Kind. He and his brother also opened a commercial photography studio. So these were all people who were real people, if you know what I mean. Like a lot of, you hear and you talk of a lot of musicians and their careers and it's, You know, I was in this band and then I bounced around to these other bands and did all this other stuff that's all kind of music related. Well, these folks did other things, photography, doula. I don't want to say it's completely unique, but it feels a little unique to their story. And then for years, that was all you had. You had these two albums. And I, as I mentioned, these albums have been with me my entire life. I've never really stopped listening to them. I'll go for phases where I haven't heard them in a while. In fact, I hadn't listened to Star straight through in a pretty long time until I was prepping for this podcast. And it's, you know, I tweeted this on my Shouting Street account, and I think we need to come up with a word for when an album you know and love, but haven't listened to in a while, and you put it on, and it just blows you away all over again. That's what happened when I put Star on and listened to it again recently. It happens with King, too, but I had listened to King a little bit more recently, Uh, I find myself listening to King more than Star, which again is kind of the reverse for most people who talk about Star as the classic album and King is the disappointment. In fact, my brother never liked King that much. My copy of the CD that I had for years, I probably still have somewhere, was his. He just gave it to me because he and his wife weren't big fans of it. Fast forward to 2013 and Tanya Donnelly released a series of songs called the Swan Song Series. The 
songs were titled so because they were supposed to be just that, her swan song as a performing musician. It implied that this was her way of retiring from music. And they were really good. I listened to them. And again, I enjoy her solo stuff. It's definitely different from Belly, but it's got some of the elements of the same stuff that I loved. So it was a bit of a surprise in 2016 when they launched a new website and they announced a tour. You can imagine my feeling as a lifelong Belly fan who did not see them live when they were first around. I was a little bit late getting into them, and by the time I did, it just didn't happen. I wasn't seeing a lot of shows, because this was in you know that period where I was bussing back and forth to my brother's college and living in an apartment in Alston and working at a liquor store. Didn't have a lot of spare money for concerts. In fact, most of the spare money I had went to comic books because I could read comic books over and over again, that and albums, which I could listen to over and over again. So you had to be a little bit frugal with your entertainment money. So in 2016, they announced this new tour. And as soon as tickets went on, I bought them because there was no way on God's green earth I was going to miss Belly playing. They did this tour. Uh, They played a few new songs on it, including Army of Clay and Human Child which are both end, will end up on the new album. And then in July 2017, they announced the new album, Dove. And they started a pledge music campaign. This was back before we knew pledge music was a big scam and everything sucked about it. So I backed it as just about as high as I could go, mostly autograph stuff and a hat and bits here and there. They also they had a level where you could go to a listening party in Providence and I was real close to it, but it was honest. I forget why I didn't do it, and I, I regret it now. I, I wish I had. It would have been pretty cool. And I've seen the poster they produced for that party, and it was pretty neat, too. So I backed this pretty much as high as I could afford at the time, and then enjoyed watching the progression as these things happened. They would release songs or song bits, and they had a lot of dog videos, which were adorable. And then in February, after that, they released Shiny One. And I remember Shiny When this was really the first big song they released since King. And I remember they released it in the morning. I got the email about it. In the morning, I was sitting at my desk in work. And I said, okay. And I told the lady that worked with me that uh, I was going to be indisposed for a little while. And I went into a conference room and I listened to it on my phone. And then I came back to my desk and then I plugged my headset in. And I just listened to it all day. Over and over and over and over and over again. I like Shiny One a lot. It was my favorite song that came out that year. And it's a brilliant pop rock song that was everything that I always loved about Belly. And it's the kind of thing when, you know, is releasing an album 25 years later. Who knows what you're going to get? A lot of times these suddenly out of retirement albums are fun, but not great. This song happened to be great. It was as good as anything they had released in their prime. And that blew my mind. And it made me very excited for the album. And then Record Store Day that year in April, they released an EP, which I didn't write down what songs were on it, which was very smart. Kids, when you're making a podcast, make sure your notes are thorough if you want to talk about something so you have it in front of you. But anyway, they released this EP. And then on May 4th, a few weeks later, Dove is released. And I probably lost two days, maybe a whole weekend, just listening to this album on loop. And probably a month, it was was almost all I listened to. It's a brilliant, wonderful album. It's a collaborative album. They talk about how everybody helped write songs. The themes are mature, 
you know, kind of adult themes. There's a lot of stuff about raising kids and growing up on it. And it feels like a logical sequel to the first two albums. And it feels like everybody has a hand in it. Like it doesn't feel like a Tanya Donnelly solo album that happened to have a similar sound. It feels like a Belly album made by everybody in Belly. And I would say the sound is probably somewhere between the first two, but a little bit more modern. And then they announced another tour, a fall tour. So let's talk about those tours a little bit. I mentioned in 2016, I bought tickets the second they were on sale. I got tickets to their Boston show and their Philly show. And I thought about getting tickets to all of their East Coast shows, but I didn't have the time off from work. So I was going to be able to take a long, two long weekends in a row so that I could go up to Boston, come back, and then see them in Philly. You know, and the Philly show was easy to get to, of course, because I live just outside of the city. The Boston show, I got tickets from my brother, his wife, and myself. And then a week before, or not a week, a few days before that show, my aunt died. And I had to cancel going to the Boston show. Cancel a bunch of other things, too. Which, and again, I'm not complaining about the inconvenience, but she died and obviously that changed what I was going to do. I wasn't going to drive up for a concert right after my aunt died. And I went to the funeral on the Sunday morning, dropped off my father who had come down from Vermont. Then I went to the show that night. So the first time I saw Belly in my life was while I was mourning my aunt. It was a weird, weird way to go see a show and situation to see a show in. But it was also one of the great concerts of my life. I'd waited 20 years to see them, and the band had 20 years of rust on them. And don't get me wrong, they were really good, but they were goofy, they were casual, they were as much of a reunion for them as it was for us. And it was, it's hard to describe. You, you can see some of these shows on YouTube, and it's worth going to take a look, because you can see a lot of the banter between songs and the jokes that they make and all of that. And it was a strange day. You remember I talked about how depressed I was and how much their music was kind of a North Star and a guiding light to get me through so much of that. That here I was seeing them for the first time the same day as a funeral where I'd seen, you know, my whole family. And it was a sad day, which I guess, you know, a lot of their music has is wrapped up with sadness to me. But it's also very joyful. And that concert was joyful and it was such a free an emotional and incredible expression of that joy for me because it was all of this welled up sadness in me. And then here was this beauty and life and light on the stage and this music that means so much to me and hearing it live for the first time. And in this crowd that felt like a family, it felt like a bunch of other people going through the same thing and shedding these 25 years of life to touch something that we knew way back then. And it's not a nostalgia thing. It's, it's an emotional connection to a younger self from an older self that has less learned a lot of lessons and understands the world a bit more, but still can see. And I mean, if you're at a rock concert, you're still in touch with that younger self of yours. And Belly was one of those bridges for that gap and one of those things that, that has been there my whole life and has been with me. And to be able to connect those two points on that night was pretty special. And, you know, it was just a great rock and roll show, too. They're a really good band, and they played a lot of good songs. They didn't have an opening act. They did two halves of the show. It was special. 
And it was a strange day, but it was a special day. It's not one I'll forget anytime soon. And then in 2018, I saw them again. They came back to Philly. And it was the same weekend as the Baltimore Comic Con. Now, I mentioned comics were important. Comics are an important part of my life as well, which is not something we're really going to cover on the show. But that day, I was driving to Baltimore, which is the other direction from Philadelphia. And I was going down there with my brother and some of my friends, including Eric, who's one of the co-hosts on my sister podcast, Scary Stuff. So I had some choices to make, which is I could skip the concert, I could skip a day at the con, or I could do what I actually did, which was drive to Baltimore in the morning, go to the con for a while, leave early, skip dinner with friends and folks around the con, drive to Philly, go to the concert, and then drive all the way back down to Baltimore to get back to the hotel we were staying in and have two full days for the rest of the weekend. That's a long day. It's not a short drive from Baltimore to Philly. Uh, it's a lot shorter at a one o'clock in the morning than it is at six o'clock at night in rush hour. But I didn't want to miss the time with my brother and my friends and the con. And I sure as shit was not going to skip a belly concert. As I mentioned, the previous one was one of the great concerts of my life. And I wasn't going to miss that chance. So I drove to Philly. And it helped that the concert was at Union Transfer, which has their own parking lot. So there's at least that assurance of being right there and knowing I can just get right in my car and go. And I will talk endlessly on this podcast about the importance of parking at venues. So I got there and I was hanging out in the line decompressing. And Gail came out and she took pictures and chatted with everybody who was waiting to come in. In fact, she eventually had to be dragged in to get to work because she was having such a good time interacting with fans. So eventually doors open, we go in and there's no opener again. They don't even have a backdrop. Uh, They don't care. They, we know who they are. They know who they are. And it's entirely about this music and it has a family reunion feel to it. A lot of the people there were the same people that were there in 2016. You know, I chatted with a few people, not friends per se, but people who were coming from a similar place that I was not Baltimore musically. And they played just a wonderful show. And I wrote about this. I wrote about Belly on my blog before at shoutingstreet.com if you want to read a companion piece to this. Uh, But this is what I wrote. A few years back, I went to a high school reunion. I left town pretty soon after high school, so I hadn't seen many of those folks in years. It was a bit awkward at first, but after a while, we had shaken the dust off and fell into old patterns and old laughter. When it was over... I knew I wouldn't see them again for a long time, and I wasn't ready to let go. Leaving the Belly Show, I had that same feeling. Their music has been with me for so long, and has meant so much, it felt like home. And that's what Belly feels like. They feel like home for me. They feel like a bridge between the person I was, the person that I am, and they feel like something that's just there. Like, they're just a part of my life, and an important part of my life, like a sibling or you know, an aunt or something like that. I don't know, but they're important. And that's why we're doing a show about them today. So that's who they are. And that's my relationship with them. So let's get to the mix as we've done. This is a 10 song mix. I had a little bit more of a rule for this one in that I had to have at least three songs from each album because otherwise it was going to be real weighted and maybe the older stuff, which is stuck with me for longer, would be overrepresented versus stuff from Dove. And I wanted to get a good cross-section of what Belly's music is all about. It was tough. In fact, 
the time it took me to make this mix is going to be about twice as long as it took me to prepare for this podcast. And I've got seven pages of notes in front of me. It was hard. My wife made fun of me. I was having such a hard time. So I'm going to give you the final five cuts in order. Uh, Number five was Judas My Heart, which is probably my second favorite of their slower songs. Silverfish, which is my favorite of their slower songs. In fact, I, I had written this about Silverfish earlier. They closed the half with an aching rendition of Silverfish, which is always poignant, but in that moment felt like it spoke to all the sadness and the pain in the world. And at the time it did. That 2018 show was right after the, or right around the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. So there was a lot of angst and people having to face things that they didn't like to face or didn't want to face every day. And it was a tough time for everybody emotionally, spiritually, and for the country as well. I don't want to get too much into politics, but suffice to say that it was tough and it came up during the show and Silverfish was the song that they played that captured all that. And it's that kind of song. It's a slow, it's a wonderful song. It's never been my favorite because I tend to like the faster songs more than the slower songs, which is going to be true for almost every band we do on this. But it's still a brilliant song, and it was tough to cut. Uh, Next up was Low Red Moon, which hadn't been one of my favorite songs, but when I saw them play it live for the first time, it was my favorite song they played live. And that made it tough to cut from this because... I do try to like to make these mixes, make it feel a little bit like the live experience, which is almost impossible with Belly. But Low Red Moon and its kind of stomping chorus was up there, and it was tough to cut. Slow Dog was the second to last to go, and Slow Dog is one of my favorites. They're all one of my favorites. There aren't many Belly songs I dislike. In fact, there's none that I dislike. So it's really just ultra favorites, regular favorites, favorites, and other songs that I enjoy a lot. But Slow Dog has some of the more poetic lyrics, and that's one of the things I love about the band, is they have a poetry and an imagery to all their lyrics that isn't necessarily present in every band. And when you talk about dream pop, that semi-lucid feeling is what you're talking about in some ways. And their lyrics encapsulate that so well, and such a dreamy, wispy feeling. But the like lyrics and then Slow Dog is... With his see-through skin, the kind of skin you can see through, which is just a great lyric and very visual. And I don't want to say Dylan-esque, but a lot of the, the dream pop poetry feeling reminds me of things like Visions of Joanna from Dylan. Uh, and then the final cut has one of my favorite lyrics of all time from them, and it's the song Red. There have been times in my life where I would have said Red is my favorite song from them. So cutting it from this mix feels hurtful, (laughs) frankly. You know, there's a part of me that's like, we'll just do an 11-song mix. You're going to talk about the song anyway, but no. we got to stick to the rules. We're we're a rules-abiding podcast here. But the, the line in Red is, Honey on your breath, heaven in your head, where does it hurt? I'm never going to write anything that good, and I write for a living at this point. You know, I have a novel coming out and it hurts a little bit to know that I'm never going to come close to something as well as the lyrics to these songs. So if those are the cuts, what do we got? So we're going to start the mix with Super Connected from King. 
Super Connected has some of the great lyrics of all of their songs, and it also feels like it's the one song that sums up everything I love about Belly and that connection that I was talking about at the concerts and to their music and to people who know their music. Are their heartstrings connected? On your third broken window, hair full of glass. You know, these are just really good lines, and it's a great way of opening the song, and you feel super connected to the band. It's got a slow opening, and the music kicks in, and it really gets going. In fact, the name of the piece I wrote is called All the Freaks Gather Round, and that's a line from Super Connected. So we're going to start off with that song, because it's the most perfect starting off song in their catalog. Then we're going to go into Geppetto from Star, which has these beautiful, dreamy, reverby vocals, and this really kind of wispy fairy tale of a song that's also got an edge, which is a good way of describing Belly, a fairy tale with an edge. I always thought it was about abuse or a bad relationship or just a relationship gone wrong. I've never never really been entirely sure, but it was their first single, it was their first song of theirs that I ever heard, and it remains one of the great alt-rock songs of all time. So for number three, We're going to get into the first song off Dove, which is Stars Align. It's from the new album. It's upbeat. It's got cool guitar licks, and it's got the line in it, it's all going to be all right. And that's a message that, you know, true or not, is worth hearing, especially right now as we're locked in quarantine when I record this, and I have to edit out all the sniffles and coughs I'm making here because I've got a bit of an allergy attack. This is what I, I do for my loyal listener fight through this stuff but it's a good rock song it's upbeat and it really does kind of encapsulate a lot of what the new album is about and that new sound after that is seal my fate from king which has i mean i love lyrics in all of their songs and this is just a great pop rock song and it was one of the ones that meant a ton to me in college when i first started listening to them with lines like hear my faith seal my fate And unholy and dirty words are gathered to me. These are just good lyrics that, you know, when you're a 20-year-old depressive walking around a cold city in the middle of winter with a headset on and feeling all alone and abandoned by the world, but also hoping for some kind of future, it's the kind of song that really just gets in there and and gets in your bones along with the cold and just stays there uh, even after you've warmed up some. Uh, Following that, I have Human Child by Dove, which is a beautiful song. It's uplifting. It's right now, it's got the line, I just want you to go outside. And that feels very poignant, again, as we're locked in here. But it's one of the ones that feels like it speaks most to who they are now versus who they were then. And it's it's a grown-up belly song is what it feels like. Instead of being these kids talking to their future selves or talking to the world around them, they're these adults who've been around the block and understand things and understand the joys and the sadness and sorrow and the pain and the brightness and the darkness of the world and is looking at their child and knowing that it's their job to guide that kid through so much of that. And that's what this song encapsulates, but it's just so hopeful and so beautiful and so instinctively joyous that it feels like despite the world having been around these folks, it hasn't defeated them. 
it hasn't taken away their hope and their positivity and their love. And that's all wrapped up in this song. So the next song is Full Moon Empty Heart, which is on Star. And this was probably my actual favorite song of theirs for years. The line, out the window backwards, is what it used to say in a room on the mud I used to play called Alatia. So whenever I would leave a room, it was my character's name, and it would say, has gone out the window backwards. And most people didn't really know what it was from. They just thought it was me being weird, which they had reason to think on this particular mud. Uh, if you don't know what a mud is, it was an online role-playing game that was text-based. So it was kind of like a chat room that had adventures you could go on. That's where I met my wife, in fact, and a lot of lifelong friends. And I was playing that a lot at the same time that I was listening to these albums. So when I hear the songs on them, especially the Full Moon Empty Heart, it brings me back to some of those places and some of those people I knew from the mud, which was important because, again, I keep talking about this, but I was pretty lonely in Boston and having these internet friends was important. And one of the things that helped get me through, but this song and these albums were what I listened to a lot while I was playing these in this dungeon-like computer room, because I didn't have a computer at the time, is this dungeon uh, beneath Boston University that I would get in, even though my student card had, was no longer active, they would let me in just from the picture, and I would play on my friends' accounts, and I would listen to this song on my headset. It's soft and dreamy and gentle, and then it's got bang, it's got this cool-ass hook, uh, where she goes, see this child twice stolen from me, and then the drums kick in, and I don't know. Just all these songs meant a lot to my mopey college brain, and they're tied up with a lot of things that are important. In fact, one of the lyrics in this was, stick your finger in your eye, that's the only way you'll cry, was a big deal, important lyric to me at the time. Because again, I'm not much of a crier. I probably should be, but I'm not, and often have a hard time with dealing with emotions. You know, go figure, right? Nothing I've said on this podcast really implies that I'm a completely emotionally in touch person. But that song was one of those that meant a lot. And again, it was on that mix that I talked about earlier that I would listen to on these bus trips and walking around. And yeah, I was pretty deep in my feels at the time. And I guess I am still when I listen to these albums. So the next song, you know, and this is going to be a similar story. Now They'll Sleep by King. And I listened to this song over and over and over and over again, even within the context of these other songs. Because it felt like the one that spoke the most to me. Like this one felt like it was talking about my life. And I have just these vivid memories of walking along Calm Avenue singing along to it. And the line is, I'm not the hero I could be, but not the dog I was. And of all the belly lyrics, that's the one. That's the single most important one. And if I had had the money to get a tattoo, that would probably be on my arm right now from back then. And it really kind of sums up my emotional state for years back then. It really does. Uh, that's what I felt like. I was trying to be a better person and not the, the creep I was in high school. I wasn't really a creep in high school, but I was a sarcastic. I could be a sarcastic asshole, and I was trying to not be that as much. Yeah, and that song really spoke to me on every level that a song can speak to you. In fact, I'm probably going to listen to it as soon as I stop this podcast recording. So the next one, number eight, we're up to number eight, is Shiny One from Dove. And I talked a little bit about this song earlier. It's just an unholy good rock song. 
and it was their first single and you know, I just listened to it over and over when it came out and was so happy that there was this great song from this band that had produced so many important great songs and here was just another one, just out of the blue. And it really shows off Donnelly's voice better than, than almost anything else on that album. And I, I wrote this in that, that same piece I talked about on my blog. A lot of it comes down to Tanya Donnelly's voice. I've been trying to think how best to describe it for nearly a week, and the best I've come up with is that her voice sounds like that look Julie Delby gives Ethan Hawke at the end of Before Sunset, and the grin he gives her back. Steely, whimsical, and just the slightest bit sinister when necessary. There's no one voice similar enough in all of rock and roll that I can think of to compare her to. And I still believe that. And in fact, I was thinking about those three movies, the Before Sunset, Before Sunrise, and the last one, After Sunset, I forget what the last one was called. And it's kind of chronicles the relationship of these two folks, these two kids who meet on a train, played by Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. And then they get back together years later in Paris when they're both a little bit more accomplished. And then the third one, they're married. And honestly, I feel like those three movies can kind of compare to the three Belly albums a little bit. You have the young, inspired one, which is Star. You move to King, where everything's a little bit more mature and a little bit more steely and jaded. And then you have Dove, which comes years later and is more emotionally truthful to where they are at that point and is a little bit harder and a little bit different from the others, but still taps into that same vein and that same love. And if, if you haven't seen those three movies, I would recommend it and maybe give these three albums a listen afterwards. And it's kind of an interesting experience. And if, if you do that, send me a message and let me know what you think. I'd be curious. Uh, I think I'm going to do that too, now that I'm talking about it. Uh, so anyway, Shiny One is number eight on this. And it's got the great line, when the call comes, you answer it. I don't know, maybe that's why we even have Dove, is the call came for something new, and they answered it. Uh, so number nine is Feed the Tree, because how could you have a belly mix without their biggest hit, and this perfect 90s song that still gets me kind of pumped up, and you know, it's got the line, I know all this and more, and it's not arrogant, but it's just to the right side of arrogance, it's like saying, you know, you're not going to fuck with me because I am in charge here. And that's, for a little while, what Belly was. This song sums it up, and it's a perfect snapshot of music and culture at the time. And it's just, it's just a good song. You know, that's really what all these comes down to, is they're just great songs. And there isn't a bad one in Belly's catalog. And I wouldn't say Feed the Tree is their best. Maybe it is, I don't know. It's the one people know. It's not my favorite, but it's such a good, well-constructed song that just gets, gets you going. Uh, it had to be on the mix. Uh, and then 10 is Thief, which is actually from the Tank Girl soundtrack. It's a bit slower. It's a bit quieter. It takes me right back to those times. It feels like the kind of song you would hear in a coffee shop, open mic back then. You know, maybe in these places in Amherst and Boston I used to go to hang out that felt like, you know, the kind of places you see on TV in or in singles or something where people just hanging out, kind of bohemian and, and Thief has that vibe. It's about longing. It's about relationships. It's got the line, I want to know why the monsters that hurt you so don't look like those things we battled so long ago. I mean, it's just cool, 
there's a soft acousticness to it that morphs into an upbeat rock finish. And it's got the line, because of you I came, and because of you I leave. And I feel like that's a great way to close the mix. Because of Belly, we're here. And because of Belly, maybe I'm still here too. Who knows? I don't know if I was ever quite that depressed. But uh, they, they helped me through a dark time. And we're in another dark time, and here they are helping me again. And you gotta you gotta hold on to bands like that and albums like that. And you can't just put them away on your shelf and say, remember when, because the music doesn't always disappear. It's not just a nostalgia trip. Music is more important than that, and it's more life-affirming and more present. You know, and these albums, even though they were recorded way back in 93, 95, they still feel present and vivid and alive to me. And when the new album came out, it felt just as present and just as vivid as those older albums that speak so deeply to me and to too many others and people I've met since I actually wrote that piece and went to those shows. I've met some other Belly fans and good people and who understand what I'm talking about. And hopefully you, dear listener, uh, if you don't know the band, you take some time out and you go and you give them a listen. And maybe it doesn't click with you, but maybe it will. And maybe you'll understand all this stuff I'm talking about. So anyway, I'm Jacob. This is The Mix Is In. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. If you have some time, listen to my sister podcast, Scary Stuff, which we have a new album or a new episode coming out soon, or it's probably going to be out when this comes out. So I'm Jacob. This has been About Belly. Have a good night.